And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy 620 here in Knoxville, Tennessee, the greatest state in the union, or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show. We are certainly grateful that you are here. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, we'll get in a little bit to the what I talked about last week with the Fifth Circuit and the Supreme Court and the abortion pill. Ultimately, uh, what the Supreme Court did was kick the can down the road. So the Supreme Court didn't make a decision. They kicked the can down the road. Uh, abortion pills will still be available uh, and accessible in the states that allow for abortion. Uh, and moving forward, they'll still be easily uh, easy to get via the mail and those type things. Hopefully, uh, down the line, hopefully at some point in time, we will make the right decision Uh, As a court, we will make the right decision as attorneys general uh, across the country and do the right thing. But until then, uh, we'll keep fighting the good fight because that's what we do. Uh, What I want to do today is we'll we'll touch on that maybe throughout the the time we have together. But there's a couple things I want to talk about. I want to talk about moving forward in 2024 politics and what some are saying the the conservative pro-life movement need to do. Uh, and what others are saying they don't need to do. And so I want to get into that when it comes to the issue of life. I also want to look at, um, there's, a, there's a piece out that's talking about uh, happiness and, and the value system and uh, the belief in God that, that when you look at numbers and when you look at data and studies, it points to the, the commonalities between those that say they live a happier life. Often those commonalities uh, are they're married, they have children, they uh, believe in God. And so we're going to look at that here in a second. But what I want to start with uh, is a piece over at Town Hall. And uh, we'll get into this. I- I'll-, I'll give you my own analysis here in a second, but I want to kind of set that up with this piece in Town Hall. It says, following a disappointing 2022 Senate cycle, Republicans are in a much better position to win the majority in 24 with the races they are competing in. The mainstream media is claiming otherwise, though, especially when it comes to the abortion issue. On Wednesday morning, The Hill published Abortion Politics Royals uh, Senate GOP, with a great deal of focus being on Senate races. It said this, Abortion politics is emerging as a major headache for Republicans heading into the 24 election and threatens to derail their chances of winning control of the Senate, as some Republicans think happened last year in last year's midterm election. The piece opened by claiming all of those things. The piece also later cites a January Truth Social post from former and potentially future President Donald Trump claiming that the abortion issue hurt Republicans in that 2022 cycle. While speaking to Town Hall in January at the March for Life, uh, Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America President Marjorie, uh, mentioned in part that the interview was the first time she had given such a reaction and that she had given the matter a lot of thought. She said this, I've been thinking about this a lot because he's always been a great ally, a great friend personally, and to the pro-life movement. Uh, He's getting this wrong, in our opinion, obviously, she said, when it comes to Trump casting blame. So I'll I'll put that article in the show notes, and you can read it further. But but what I wanted to do there is kind of set up where we're going to go. We, We are living in a time in our culture and in our society where confusion is being uh, 
Confusion is being created on purpose by our culture and society. So what, what tends to happen is pro-lifers and conservatives are pro-life and conservative, which means they're going against the grain of what a secular culture might say. And then pro-life conservatives read pieces in the New York Times, and they read pieces in the Washington Post, and they read pieces in these articles and, and in these publications, and they watch cable news outlets like CNN and MSNBC. And then they get on Twitter and they see the nonsense that's on Twitter. And, and what, what tends to happen is then conservatives get a little nervous. Pro-lifers get a little nervous. Well, maybe we are going too far with this pro-life stance. Maybe we need to pull back the reins a bit. Maybe we don't need to talk about our belief in its entirety. Maybe we need to not bring up that Roe was overturned in 2022. Maybe we, not, we don't need to talk about the Dobbs case. Maybe we don't need to pass legislation in certain states that are going to create ways to protect life. Folks, if you are in that camp, and if you support a politician that's in that camp, please, please rethink that position. Because here's the thing. We are either fully invested into the pro-lifeness of, of saying life has value at every stage, including in the womb, or we're not fully invested in that. There's no gray area there. And, and, and here's another reality. And, and obviously, the former president, Trump, is never going to listen to this show. But if I was advising his campaign moving forward, I would say you can't run away from the Roe decision being overturned. You were the president. You appointed justices that ultimately overturned Roe. The, the most monumental court decision in 50 years, you were a part of that. You helped make that happen. And now you're saying we need to, we need to act as if it didn't happen? Now we're going we're gonna to dump on Ron DeSantis in, in Florida for, for signing a heartbeat bill? And, and if you are a, a political pundit, or a, a campaign manager, or a, you know, fill in the blank, you work in politics, and you're a consultant, and you know what's right and what's wrong, let me, let me tell you something. In particular with what happened in Florida. Governor DeSantis turned a, a purple state, a swing state, into a solid, I mean solid red state. That, that man won it years ago by just a few thousand votes. And then he nearly got 70% of the vote in this last governor's election. And they swept the entire state. He won counties that no conservative has won in, in decades. And the state of Florida had a 15-week ban in place. And people are celebrating a 15-week ban. 98% of all abortions that occurred in Florida occurred prior to 15 weeks. So although we celebrate a 15-week ban, because it's an incremental step in the right direction, it really didn't move the needle in the state of Florida. And actually, although Florida became the reddest state, one of the reddest states in the country, it also became an abortion destination state. 
Did you know that out of the states that saw the, the biggest increase in abortion, Florida was one of those states after Roe was overturned? Why is that? Because they only had a 15-week ban. So people were going to Florida, one of the reddest states in America, to get an abortion, leaving states like Tennessee, leaving other red states like Alabama to go to Florida to get their abortion. Now, the state of Florida recently, just a couple weeks ago, passed a heartbeat bill. Now, it has exceptions in it, exceptions that I wouldn't agree with. But they passed a bill. The governor signed it. Some of my friends were standing around him as, they, as he signed it, applauding because they know what this means. They know more lives will be saved because of this law in the state of Florida, that it will no longer be a tourist destination for abortion. And we have, quote-unquote, conservatives attacking and saying, oh, no, we got to run away from this extreme pro-life position. Folks, the, the reality is Roe was overturned on June 24th. This is something that we prayed for. It's something that we longed for. It's something that we wished with all that we had would happen. We didn't really believe it would ever happen. If I'm honest, and if we're honest, I think none of us believed that it would happen under the presidency of Donald Trump. In my opinion, one of the greatest, one of the greatest accomplishments of Donald Trump's presidency was appointing the justices that ultimately overturned Roe v. Wade. And now he's running away from that accomplishment. Why? So he can dunk on Ron DeSantis because he's, he's nervous about Ron DeSantis running, running in the primary. He's nervous about that. He's not cutting promos telling Nikki Haley to, to step out of the race. He's not cutting promos and telling Tim Scott to cut out of the race. He's not cutting promos and saying, hey, Vivek, you don't need to run in the Republican primary. No, he's, he's only saying Ron DeSantis doesn't need to run in the Republican primary. And he's doing that. I know why he's doing that. We all know why he's doing that. It's because Ron DeSantis is positioning himself as one of the only ones that has a chance to beating him in the primary. But outside of all of that, outside of the politics of it all, and some of you are going, well, I don't care about the politics of it all. Here's the reality. This is why it took us 50 years to see Roe overturn. This is why it's taken us so long to see states pass laws that would restrict abortion. It's because we do not like to lead from the front. We don't like that. That's hard. That's difficult. We don't like to have to defend our positions. It's easy to defend our positions when we know that, that Roe is in place and never going to be overturned. It's easy then in that moment to go, yeah, I think it should be overturned. We need to protect life at all costs. We need, it's easy to say that when you don't have to have actually any skin in the game. We, are, we even saw that here in, in our state with some quote-unquote pro-lifers after Roe being overturned actually say on record well, I voted for that bill because I never thought I would see the day that Roe would be overturned. What does that mean? That means it's easy. It's easy to be pro-life when the law on the book says that abortion can happen at any point during the pregnancy. See, it's easy in those moments 
Because you don't have to lead from the front. You're the underdog. You're the dog chasing the car. But when we catch that car, when the dog catches that car, what happens? Oh no, now what? And we, we, some of us got caught flat-footed. Roe was overturned and we were like, oh no, now what? Folks, we have to, as, as conservatives, as pro-lifers, we have to step into this and lead from the front. We have an opportunity in this country to articulate our position when it comes to the abortion issue in a way that folks will start to see what it truly means to be pro-life. We have an opportunity to, to put the, the ball in their court and say, now you have to explain why you think abortion is okay all the way up to nine months and how grotesque that is. You now have to explain. You can't simply say it's a woman's right anymore because it's not. Roe is no longer in place. Roe is no longer the law of the land. Abortion does no longer reign in our country. Some states it does. But since the overturning of Roe in June of 2022, the six months after June 2022, 30-plus thousand babies have been born that wouldn't have been born had that been in place. Around 5,000 babies a month have been born that wouldn't have been born if abortion was the law of the land. Tennessee being one of the top five states seeing more babies born because abortion has been outlawed. Texas, another one of those states. Ohio, another one of those states. So we can't run away from what happened in June. We can't, we can't say, hey, we, we got the, one of the biggest victories we've ever seen as a society, one of the biggest victories certainly in the last 50 years, and then act as if that didn't happen and try to say, oh, well, we're not really pro-life. We're not going to run on that. We need bold leadership, and we need to be ready to lead from the front. And instead, we got squishy politicians that refuse to lead from the front. So instead of celebrating a heartbeat bill that's being passed in, in the state of Florida, instead of celebrating the Human Life Protection Act in the state of Tennessee, instead of celebrating states that are going all in to protect life, we find ourselves arguing with each other because you're, you're too pro-life. That's nonsense. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation, look, I, the, the reason we, we settled in on that first segment on, on what I discussed when it comes to the life issue is this is not a time to be squishy. This is not a time to step into the gray area and go, look, we're just going to kind of act like June 24th didn't happen and maybe the, the, the voters will forget about that. No, 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 no. Do you want me to put my cards on the table? I'll take Roe being overturned, even if it means I never win another election with the person that I, I want to win. Like, is this an important issue or not? 
Do we compromise our principles and values? Well, because we, 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 we must win elections. Or do we say life is so precious and life is such a gift and it's such a blessing that we, we must do all we can to protect it. You see, some of us, and I've been guilty of this too, we put our hope in politicians. We put our hope in legislation. And so what, what tends to happen in those moments is we, we get squishy when things get difficult. So if I was advising any pro-life campaign, don't run away from June 2022. Don't run away from the Dobbs decision. Don't run away from laws in the state of Tennessee and Florida and other places that are going out of their way to protect life. Don't run away from those things. There's a reason why Florida has become one of the reddest states in the union. There's a reason why Tennessee is one of the reddest states in the union. So, so instead of throwing pro-lifers under the bus as, it's, as if it's our fault because we're too pro-life to win elections, how about you recognize, and, and man, wouldn't it be nice if a politician would come out and say, I'm going to boldly stand for life. I don't care if it costs me an election. There are some things more important than elections. Maybe my convictions are more important than the next election. What a novel idea. I don't know. Grow a backbone. And boldly stand for truth. And boldly stand for things that matter. For values that matter. How about we do that? Instead of sticking our finger in the air and going, which way is the wind blowing today? How pro-life should I be today? That's nonsense. That's not leadership. It's not going to move the needle. It's not going to move the ball down the field. It's weak. And now is not the time for weakness. Now is not the time for gray area. Our culture is doing just fine in the gray area department, believe me. They're muddying everything up. Gender, sex, marriage, children, schools. They're muddying everything up. They have no problem operating in the gray area. We need truth. We need clarity. We need boldness. We need true leadership. Don't run away from it. I now want to shift gears just a bit. There's a piece over at the Wall Street Journal, and uh, I think it's an interesting assessment on our culture. And, And here's the title of the article. They're the happiest people in America. We called them to ask why. America's happiest people have a few traits in common. They value community and close personal relationships. They tend to believe in God, and they generally are older, often in their retirement years. Those are conclusions from the latest Wall Street Journal poll, which found that a small group of Americans, 12%, describes themselves as as not just happy, but very happy. Now, how sad of a state of affairs is that for our society? Only 12% of respondents said they were very happy in America. Americans aren't a particularly happy bunch. The 12% was the smallest share of very happy people ever recorded 
in this survey, dating back to 1972. Among all 1,019 adults in the survey, large majority said they felt pessimistic about the economy and prospects for the next generation. Some 30% rated themselves at the lowest level of happiness, saying they were not too happy. A majority, some 56%, said they were pretty happy. All this makes the slice of very, very happy people stand out. What do they know that the rest of Americans don't? Overwhelmingly, the very happy value strong relationships. Some 67% say marriage is very important to them. Please, folks, listen to this. This is not a Christian poll. This is a secular poll, but it gives us a glimpse into what our society is saying. 67% of respondents said that marriage is very important to them, regardless of their own marital status. So listen to that. Even if they're not married, 67% said marriage is very important. That's compared with 43% of respondents overall. They tend to say belief in God is important. Two-thirds describe themselves as very or moderately religious compared with less than half of adults overall. Community involvement rates is more important among the very happy than among those who report lower levels of happiness. And while many of the very happy are satisfied with their personal finances, as a group, they don't attach high importance to money. Think about that. The very happy segment of this survey, just 12%, and the majority of them said marriage has high value in their life. The majority of them said that their bank accounts don't matter that much. The majority of them said that a belief in God matters to them, that they are religious. Yet the culture can't understand why we have a mental health problem. The culture can't understand why we're having the problems that we're having when it comes to the confusion of our, of our nation when only 12% of the respondents are, are giving you the answer. God is good. Believe in God. Marriage is good. Believe in marriage. Your bank account is going to leave you. You can't take it with you when you go. Don't, don't put it on a pedestal. They go further. We're living on Social Security and a couple of small pensions. We live from month to month on that, said Mary uh, Pasquale, 76, a retired medical secretary in Maryland. One of the survey respondents who identified herself as very happy, but we don't want for anything. The survey and follow-up interviews pointed to what doesn't matter to their happiness. Many very happy people say they follow politics and are distressed by the state of the civic life, but the group includes both Trump voters and Biden supporters. Neither political party claims a disproportionate share of the very happy. As a group, the very happy aren't without challenges, some are facing problems, such as helping a child face cancer or divorce. In interviews, many said that they felt their happiness was partly built into their personalities, partly controlled by choices they make in their daily lives. One common interest, fitness. I'm the only person at the gym who works out with a two-year-old in a stroller with me, said Latasha McCorkle, 35, a community activist in North Carolina. Her routine includes walking, weightlifting, and swimming. The very happy tend to be older. Those ages 60 and above accounted for 30% of people in the survey, but 44% of the happiest group. The findings make sense to Robert Waldinger, a professor of psychiatry at the Harvard Medical School. Research has shown that many people grow happier later in life, he said. As we get older and realize that death is a real thing, rather than making us depressed, it makes us, a priority. It makes us put a priority on well-being. 
Women in the journal survey far more than men describe themselves as very happy. Dr. Waldinger said that finding could result from the fact that women live longer than men. While the Harvard study didn't find religion to be a central spoke of happiness, Dr. Waldinger said he could imagine a link, nothing that both marriage and religion give people, noting that both marriage and religion give people a sense of belonging. You see, our culture thinks the answer is in live your truth, be your person, do and be whatever you want to be. But the reality is very different. The happiest people in our society are the ones that have joy. The ones that say, I do believe in God and I consider myself religious. The ones that say marriage is very important. And the ones that say my bank account isn't as important as others would want it to be. Folks, we we try to complicate things. But the reality is if we would get back to God, if we put our focus on Him, our relationships through Him, our lives would be better for it. Our culture would be better for it. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we continue today, I wanted to talk about that, that study and, and the, the happiness of our society because you can look around us. You can look around in our culture, and there's a lot of unhappy people. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of mental illness. There's a lot of folks struggling. To the point that when you're asked by a surveyor, are you happy, many folks say, yeah, not at all. Now, what do they base that on? They base that on, well, I don't have any relationships. I don't have enough money. I don't have the job that I want. Because we believe the lie that those things are what bring about happiness. In reality, the very happy folks are telling us what the equation involves. God, marriage, family, relationships, community involvement. The equation is there. Many of us just choose not to take it. I now want to talk about something that was said by our president just the other day. He was speaking in the Rose Garden. And he said, there is no individual my child or your child. Every child is our child, the nation's child. Yeah, that's nonsense. You see, we, we have folks that are saying things that, that run counter to everything we've always believed. That doesn't mean that, that I don't care about other kids. Certainly, that's why I do the job that I do, because we care about other people's children. I care deeply about our young people. That's why I talk about mental illness, and that's why I talk about social media use, and that's why we look at data and studies that, that are saying our young people are calling out and crying out for help, because we care about their well-being. But those kids aren't mine. Those kids aren't yours. Now, the four kids that I've been entrusted to raise <clears throat> and steward are the four wood kids, Gavin, Summer, Evelyn, Charlie. Those are the ones that are mine. And I can assure you they are not President Biden's. They are not President Trump's. They are not any politicians. They are not any of the Supreme Court justices' kids. They are not any 
at one else's kids. Those are my kids. And so when politicians start to dabble in this, they're all our kids. That is how you end up with what we saw in the state of Washington that I talked about. I think I talked about it last week. When, when you start, when our politicians and our government starts to see every child as their child, then they'll pass laws and legislation that will say when you don't affirm the identity of your child, then when you don't affirm the identity of your child, then we have the ability and the right to take that child from you. When, when you don't use the proper pronouns, when you don't lie down at the feet of culture, then you have no right to parent that child. We are going to take that child from you. That is what the state of Washington has done. That is what Washington, D.C. is trying to do. And, and so don't come at me and say, these are not your kids. These are America's kids. No. No. 100% no. No in every way. No yesterday, no today, and no tomorrow. I can assure you, no. So, so they're starting to say the quiet part out loud. The crazy thing is, they'll say things like that. And they'll say, we care about the children. We care about the future. Yet at every opportunity they get, they want to abort the children of the future. At every opportunity they get, they want to abort future generations. So, so when you look at me and say, these are our children, not your children, the reason I have a little pause in my posture is because no entity that tells me Abortion is the way of the future is going to lay claim on my children. Not going to happen. And so we talk about this often on this show. But the culture talks in circles. The secular viewpoint has no answer for where we are today. So when we look at a study that says most people are unhappy... And only 12% would say they are very happy. The culture has no answer for that. When the culture says, these aren't your kids, these are our kids. And at the same time, this culture says, and by the way, we should be able to abort these kids. And by the way, your little girl wants to be a little boy and you don't agree with that. We're going to take your kids from you. There is a, a movement afoot to sow confusion into our society. There was a time where we could just have a debate. There was a time, not too long ago, when we talked about the issue of life and abortion that that many would say, look, no one wants an abortion, no one wants to celebrate abortion it needs to be safe, legal, and rare. What about in the rare circumstances of rape and incest? What about in this particular case? Look, I can have strong opinions on those scenarios. But I can also, in those moments, understand where someone might be coming from. Again, I may disagree with them. 
But I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be able to have a discussion on that. But in 2023, you're no longer hearing anyone say safe, legal, and rare. You're no longer hearing anyone say that, that, look, no one wants to have an abortion. Actually, you've seen the movement go the other direction of shout your abortion. You've seen the movement go another direction when abortion uh, advocates would stand on the Supreme Court steps and take abortion pills on camera and be celebrated for it. So it went from safe, legal, and rare, let's have a, a logical, rational discussion on the issue of life and abortion, to shut up, bigot. We should be able to abort any child that we want to abort. That's, that's what it's come to. And so in that moment, I, I can't have a logical, rational discussion with someone that believes that. I can't have a logic, logical and rational discussion with a government that says... If you don't affirm the identity of your child's choice, we're going to take your kid from you. I can't. I can't have a rational and logical discussion with that government entity. I can't have a rational and logical discussion with, with a government official that would look at me, look me in the eye and say, that's not your kid. That's our kid. I, I, I can't. I, I can't have a logical and rational discussion with you if that is your belief system. But you see, our secular culture will admit all the wrongs. Our secular culture will admit we have a mental health crisis. Our secular culture will admit we have a depression crisis. Our secular culture will admit that we have a young people crisis. We'll admit all those things. But, but they won't seek out any answers. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep sounding like a broken record. A secular poll out of the Wall Street Journal asked the very happy people what made them very happy. And the majority of them said, I believe in God. I have a high value of marriage. I have a high value of community engagement. I have a high value of close relationships. And I have a low value of my bank account. Secular poll is telling us the formula, the equation. And the crazy thing is a secular poll is saying that the equation and the formula is found in God and your priorities being in the right place. Now, they can say all they want is because, you know, the older you get, the closer you get to death. You know, for some of us, that's going to make us prioritize things. You know, people that are retired are going to be happier. But the reality is, even one of the ladies they spoke to, who I'm guessing is not a conservative, is 35 years old, and she listed herself as very happy because priorities matter. So, so as we think through this, we have an opportunity as the church, capital C, as believers, to speak truth into our society, to speak truth into our country to call out nonsense when it's out there. So when a political official says, those aren't your kids, those are our kids, call it nonsense because that's what it is. When political officials say, yeah, now, now we don't need to get too pro-life here or we might lose the next election, we call that nonsense. 
and say we care more about convictions than next elections. When legislatures or city councils go the way of the enemy and go the way of darkness when it comes to gender ideology, we call that nonsense and we point people to truth that God created man and woman, male and female. We say it boldly, unapologetically, because these things matter. It matters. The culture has no answer for the lostness of our world, but who does? The gospel, the God of the universe, he has the answer. And he's going to use us as the vehicle to take that answer to the globe. We'll be back. So as we finish up today, I want to end with a quote that hopefully will sum up all that we talked about uh, today. Ryan T. Anderson is a, a great writer, thinker, uh, political pundit, and, and he wrote a piece over the Wall Street Journal, and, and I'll probably cover it maybe next week, but I don't have time to go through it today. But a quote from that piece, he says this, Standing for the in- inherent and equal dignity of every human places the pro-life movement on the right side of this issue morally. Compared with democratic extremism, pro-lifers are also on the right side as a political matter as well. I want you to know that. There are going to be folks in our society. And, and, and here's how I know this. If your belief in the life issue is, is founded and grounded in the scriptures... So if my pro-lifeness is found and it has its origin in, I believe the God of the universe created man and woman in his image. If I believe that, that's going to drive my pro-life ethic from womb to tomb. If that is where the origin of your belief system comes, you're not going to get squishy. This is in my experience. You're not going to get squishy on the issue. If your belief system has its origin in science, or somewhere outside of Scripture, or its origin is found in politics, you're going to get squishy. How do I know that? Because it's playing out right in front of us. We have people that claim to be pro-life that are saying, hey, we need to, we need to pull back the reins a bit. Take your foot off the pedal, and let's just slowly step into... Post row. Why? It's because they, they, they hold up elections as highest priority. That should not be the highest priority. They're important. We talk about it a lot on this show. But it is not my highest priority. But if, you're, if the origin of your pro-life stance is rooted in God's word, is rooted in a biblical worldview that says the God of the universe created man in his image. If it's rooted and found there, then it doesn't matter what political winds come by. It doesn't matter what this pundit says or that pundit says. It doesn't matter what this consultant says or that consultant says. We say there's no gray area. 
We, we can't then say, well, you know, some lives, look, you know, some lives are okay to abort. You know, we don't, we got to win this election. No. No. Again, what, what is more valuable? An image bearer? Or the next election? Now, I know some will say, well, but if, if, we, if we don't win that election, then all the good that we've done will be undone by radical politicians. Not if we stay in the fight. And not if we clearly define what abortion is. Not if we are willing to, to have the hard conversations. To bring it up in debate. To be able to articulate our thought process. I don't know. Here's an idea. How about we have political uh, pundits and consultants and politicians that can actually articulate our position? How about that? How about when you're on the debate stage, you don't go, oh, I don't know what to say. Now, how about you lean into it and go, you know what? If we want to talk about extremism, let's talk about extremism. Because my position has me erring on the side of all life. Oh, you want to attack pregnancy centers. No heartbeat has been extinguished inside of a pregnancy center ever. Let's talk about extremism. Let's talk about the position that culture would say is the right position. Let's talk about abortion in the second and third trimester. Let's talk about what abortion pills actually do. Let's talk about the bleeding and the cramping and the emergency room visits that happen because of the abortion Pills. Let's talk about those things. You see, if, if, a, if a candidate or a consultant or a pundit would boldly say those things and then make, enforce the extremists who stand for abortion to defend their position, culture will see just how callous they are. This is no time for squishiness. It is no time for gray area. We have an opportunity to speak truth. And even the secular polls are telling us that truth matters, that God has high value. Marriage has high value. Relationships, personal relationships have high high value. Community involvement has high value. Standing for life, folks, has high value. We'll talk to you next week.